Veni Sancte Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for your holy presence, for your life, your grace, your mercy and reconciliation. Fill our hearts with your love and your life. May we hear your good news. Amen. Well, I was going to start by singing, but now I'm being heckled, so how am I going to sing? I'm going to get all nervous. You can't judge an apple by looking at the tree. You can't judge the honey by looking at the bee. You can't judge a woman by looking at her mother. You can't judge a book by looking at the cover. So these words are from the legendary early rock and roll great Bo Diddley's song, You Can't Judge a Book, in case you didn't figure that out. And it might as well be this theme song for Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, commonly known as 2 Corinthians. Later on in the letter, we discover that Paul has some serious competition. Folks who he calls, tongue-in-cheek, super-apostles. I love that, super-apostles. These folks claim superior wisdom. They possess letters of recommendation from important people. They perform miracles. And they've got lots of money because of the good job they do. They're good-looking with TED Talk-worthy eloquent speech. And you can imagine every time they speak, the website and the 1-800 number flash on the screen, right? Donate now. Bing, bing, bing. So the community looks at these entertaining preachers and they like what they see. They criticize Paul, on the other hand, for his rather dull appearance, his baldness, the fact that he works a full-time job and doesn't collect money from them, meaning he's poor. He's not much of a speaker and he probably just reads it all off a piece of paper anyway. And he isn't much of a miracle worker either can't give much of a show. So compared to these super apostles, he's a lackluster performer at best. When they look at Paul, they see this broke, dumpy, uncharismatic, shabby, bald guy who couldn't talk himself out of a paper bag. So they've been measuring his effectiveness as a minister and an overseer on outer criteria. Not the apple, but the tree. Not the honey, but the bee, you know, etc., etc. They look at Paul, and on every account, he goes wanting. In one way, it's understandable. I've seen talks where an empty chair possesses more charisma than the person giving it, and it's been my experience on a few occasions to deliver those types of talks. There's a point where appearance can be an obstacle to hearing content, but there's also a point where the appearance overwhelms and overshadows the content. It overrides the message itself and can ultimately be destructive. A few weeks ago, The Atlantic magazine wrote about the world of militant online veganism. You may not know this. I didn't know it either, but like any other niche community out there, 
there's a whole world of vegan YouTube celebrities. A lot of it is condemning the practice of meat eating and promoting healthy vegan lifestyles, but interestingly enough, this piece points out that it's not generally meat eaters who react the most strongly against these stars. The most heat actually comes from fellow vegans, ones who criticize them for not being critical of meat eating enough, eating the occasional piece of cheese, or not doing veganism to the fullest degree. And the pressure can be so high that people will stop at nothing to maintain their online personas. After being an evangelical vegan for nearly a decade, one star said she developed insomnia, chronic anemia, and a whole bunch of other health problems, all she wished all of which she traces to stress and an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. But the thing was, it was all about maintaining that online appearance of perfection, about publicly holding up the impossible outward standards that that online community held. So we'll let our bodies waste away, but as long as we look good, that's okay. And this isn't just militant vegans. In fact, this isn't about vegans at all. Many of us spend a lot of time projecting on social media, Facebook, Twitter. We'll post all the lovely photos of the ski trip to Mount Washington, cute playdates with kids, and the perfect broccoli quiche, which I will never eat because I hate quiche, but it's perfect. It looks perfect, all with the purpose of carefully crafting our outward public persona. And this really hit home for me when our family was at the Cumberland Parade. I ended up fiddling for about 10 minutes with my phone, trying to get the camera to work, and Cheyenne just turned to me and said, as only she can, something like, maybe put the phone down and enjoy the parade. But I wanted to post the perfect shot of the parade on Instagram. It was important. I wanted everybody to know how wonderful my family is and how good of a father I am and probably post something funny so people would think I was funny too. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was ignoring my children the entire time <laughs> and missing a good chunk of the actual parade trying to take pictures of the parade. You know what that is. It can take us out of the moment. And before those of us who aren't militant vegans and aren't on social media start patting ourselves on the back, Let's keep in mind that it's not a new thing to be obsessed with the outer appearance. It's just a new manifestation of an old thing. Churches can be like that. The music, the young charismatic preacher, or two young charismatic, well-educated preachers. And especially at times in the past, in some churches today, church was often about showing up in your Sunday best, smiling, hiding sins and shame for fear of judgment by peers. All the while, the point of church is missed. The church becomes the company of the righteous rather than sinners in recovery. Like Paul's co co congregation in Corinth, we value outward appearance over inner 
substance. The content matters less than how it's presented. Either way, we become, uh, we become more concerned with judging outward appearances than what is actually happening in our lives or the lives of others. You see, the Corinthians, militant vegans, social media stars, and contemporary Christians all seem to have this in common. As much time and investment we put in the outward, though, whether it's wealth, status, success, wisdom, strength, charisma, or beauty, Paul's response to the Corinthians and to us is that none of this stuff really matters in the end because it's wasting away. First, he says that he and his partners preach on account of the death and resurrection of Jesus. One thing we always seem to forget is that Jesus, according to outward appearances, was a complete failure. Poor, homeless, wandering Jew, never won any awards, no shiny teeth, never was an entrepreneurial success, and his ministry really came to an end, his lifely ministry, when he was executed by the state in collaboration with the, up, with the upright religious authorities, crucified between two criminals. Judging by outward appearances, Jesus was a nobody, a nothing. And yet, Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead, and Jesus lives eternally vindicated by God. And as Paul says a chapter later, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hidden within this shabby outward appearance, hidden in the very cross itself, is the creator of the universe at work bringing permanent newness. So we do not lose heart, Paul says. We do not lose heart because even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what, we can, what can be seen, for what can be seen is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. The life of God in Christ, unseen, eternal. In Christ, there is a clear line drawn between our outer nature, Paul says, and our inner nature. Our outer nature is what can be seen. Not only is it the human body, but it's everything that's temporary in life. Appearances. All that stuff we in the Corinthians hold up high. Success, status, money, wealth, sex appeal, power, the right fashion sense, the perfect speaking and singing voice. I'm still waiting for that one. <laughs> the perfect Facebook profile or highly rated YouTube channel. Even our moral superiority. As much as we worship these things, none of them will last. Along with our bodies, Paul says, this stuff will decay and one day disappear. 
And you've probably heard that phrase, you can't take it with you when you die. Paul puts those flashy super apostles and their gifts in that category. All that stuff we put so much life and energy into obtaining and maintaining temporary, Paul says. Whoosh, whoosh, gone with the sands of time. Temporary. But then there's our inner nature. It's the part of us that we can't see. He means who we are in our totality, who we are in our fullness, what we might call the soul, who we are below the surface of appearance, our individuality, how God sees us, really. Paul says that that's the important bit. And unlike our outer nature, which is fleeting, there's something about our inner nature that mingles with the eternal. Everlasting. Something that outlasts us, outlasts our lives, outlasts our children's lives, that outlasts everything and everybody. Now, Paul doesn't mean a ghostly angel that floats out of us when we die. That's not what he's talking about. Here he's talking about the divine life of the creator, that part of us that participates in God the Trinity. Through stuff we can't own, obtain, or quantify. Not because they last forever, but that they originate in the very life of God. Stuff like goodness, beauty, truth, courage, integrity, self-sacrifice, hope, joy, love. And the greatest of these is love. Those things we experience in loving relationship with other people. All of these unseen things, Paul says, these things aren't dying. But these things are given to us by God's own spirit of life and by which we are made new every morning by Christ. For we know, he says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We can't see any of it, but this stuff is the stuff that matters, the stuff that will outlast us. And as Paul says elsewhere, if you ain't got these things, you ain't got nothing. Otherwise, it's all strictly appearance. And that's just wasting away. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we spend so much of our time worried by and cultivating our appearances, the outer life, a crafted persona we project to the world, confusing the appearance of life with life itself. So much so that it can oppress us and even destroy us. That's because it's all temporary and can pull us into the trash heap with it. But Paul says that we need not be enslaved by appearances any longer. Full life, true life, 
Life eternal isn't found on the surface. It's found inside. It's found in the transformation of our inner life, the depths of our souls, in the pursuit of God, God's love, and God's kingdom. And we do that by taking up our cross daily and dying to our drive towards appearances. Dying to our perfection, dying to our pursuit of wealth, experience, prestige, and fame. Giving up on all those temporary appearance-related things that consume our lives. Giving up on those and giving in to Christ. Giving in to those things we cannot see or quantify. Giving in to God's grace. And giving into living for the world and serving in Christ's name. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And if we are going to live forever, we might as well start today. Amen.